Okay, welcome back, listeners. Um, this is a follow-up podcast to episode eight. A change is going to come. I was doing some reading this morning, and what I realized is that uh, I had mentioned the Tulsa race riots of 1921, and I did not realize when I was doing the podcast yesterday, May 31st, that um, it was the 99th uh, commemoration of those race riots. Just kind of ironic that, you know, 99 years ago um, to the day, um, Tulsa, Oklahoma was literally on fire. Um, at least the African American community there was. And here we are 99 years later to the day, and America, our cities across America, are literally on fire. So I, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the Tulsa race riots real quickly, just to kind of give you a little bit of history. I'm not well versed in this history, but I do know a little bit about uh, what took place. Uh, but we'll go kind of uh, go back a bit and talk a little bit about Oklahoma Territory. Uh, obviously, the area that we call Oklahoma or the state of Oklahoma was once controlled by indigenous people. After the 1830 Indian Removal Act, which is basically um, a congressional law uh, that was meant to ethnically cleanse um, territories east of the Mississippi of Native Americans and push them into um, this territory called Indian Country or Indian Territory. And so some of you may have heard of the Trail of Tears, which is uh, the force removal of the Cherokee, the Chickasaw, the Choctaw, the Seminole, and several other tribes. It's estimated that over 100,000 Native Americans are forced to leave their homelands east of the Mississippi and forced to move to what we call Oklahoma Territory today, or the state of Oklahoma. And um, it was promised that if Native Americans moved to this territory, that uh, they would control it as long as the grass grew and the rivers flowed. But of course, as Westerners made their way towards the West Coast, um, Oklahoma Territory was eventually uh, turned into a state, I believe, in 1907. Oklahoma officially becomes um, a state. So it's a very, very um, complex and interesting Native American history and I know probably uh, the majority of my listeners have at least heard of the Trail of Tears. Uh, again, that's the, the force removal of not just uh, the Cherokee, but literally dozens of tribes are forced to move to Indian Territory. Um, and uh, during this process of force removal, uh, thousands of Native Americans die uh, while being rounded up, forced into stockades, then eventually marched uh, to Oklahoma. Now, as Oklahoma um, becomes a state, uh, many African Americans are uh, fleeing southern uh, territories and moving into uh, Oklahoma. And um, over the generations, many African-American people become very, very successful business owners. And there's a, a neighborhood in Tulsa, um, I think it's called Greenwood. Um, and um, in this neighborhood, African-Americans build up their uh, infrastructure, 
you know, they build uh, very, very successful businesses. Um, there's about 100,000 people who live in Tulsa. 10,000 of those folks are African-Americans. And because of strict segregation laws that are immediately adopted, African-Americans are, of course, forced to live in neighborhoods that are highly segregated. Movement is incredibly controlled. However, African-Americans make the best out of the situation and they um, build up a thriving business district. Some people refer to it as Black Wall Street. Uh, Many African-American families were incredibly affluent and highly educated. Um, And so it was somewhat of an oasis for black people, even though um, the racial tensions were incredibly high. Uh, It was very common in Tulsa for African-Americans um, to be lynched, unfortunately. Um, uh, so, um, it was a very, very scary situation for black people, not just in Tulsa, but all over the country. But, you know, the focus of this podcast is what happened in Tulsa. And so it it was not uncommon for, uh, for black people in Tulsa, uh, to, uh, come up missing, or to be publicly executed, very similar to what happened to George Floyd. Um, And and so let's kind of get back to uh, the race riots and how they were started. Um, And so on May uh, 31st, an African-American male um, went to use um, a restroom. Um, The the name of the African-American male was Dick Rowland. And he was a, a shoe shiner, and supposedly um, he had assaulted Sarah Page, who was a 17-year-old elevator operator. And I guess he went to use the restroom in this building. Supposedly he had assaulted this woman, and he was arrested. Um, and there were stories that that were getting out that he was lynched. And of course, the African American community went to the courthouse, and a um, fight broke out and, um, a few people had been, were shot and killed, um, including, including, uh, white folks as well. Um, well, after this, uh, confrontation, a mob of white folks, um, uh, estimated, uh, over a thousand white folks got together um, got their guns or explosives and, um, they moved into Greenwood again, this area that they called black wall street. And they started murdering African-Americans, uh, not just African-American men, but women as well, children. Um, and they estimate that as many as, you know, 300,000 African-American people are killed during this time, during this uh, two-day race riot, and just a handful of white folks are killed. Uh, But the level of violence was so incredible that you actually had um, um, some people who owned airplanes at the time, and they um, flew over Greenwood, and they were actually dropping um, explosive devices from airplanes on this community. And so the violence was absolutely incredible, but I thought was really interesting was that um, they purposely targeted um, affluent African-Americans. 
And I just want to read you a quote. This is from a book called Sundown Towns. I'd mentioned it in my previous previous podcast. Uh, The exact title of the book is Sundown Towns, A Hidden Dimension of American Racism. And the author of uh, this book, James Lowen, one of my favorite authors, uh, does an an excellent job of fleshing out uh, not just um, the racial violence in the South, but the racial violence towards African-Americans, Hispanics, uh, and Asians all over the country. And there's this concerted effort to control and restrict the movement of black people, to not allow black people to own businesses in white communities, to own homes in white communities. There are all these different zoning laws that prohibited black people, again, from um, being able to build up their, um, their wealth. But in Tulsa, Oklahoma, African-Americans basically, again, lifted themselves up by their bootstraps, created their own communities, their own businesses, their own banks. Um, They uh, built up their own um, education system. And there was just a lot of jealousy on the part of white folks. And so according to James Lowen, when they went into Greenwood, Black Wall Street, uh, they purposely targeted wealthy um, African-American people. And so I wanted to go ahead and read the, uh, some of this stuff here. So um, let's see. And again, this is a paragraph, uh, page 168, Sundown Towns. And this is um, Lowen talking about some of the race riots. He said, in the larger uh, riots for which we have more information, such as the 1908 attempt in Springfield, Illinois, and the 1921 attempt in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to cleanse the cities of African-Americans, we can see the same dynamic at work. Margaret Ferguson, an African-American trying to avoid the mob in Springfield pointed out, there was a great deal of animosity toward any well-established Negro who owned his own house and had a good job. Rioters that specifically targeted William uh, Dunnigan, an elderly African-American who had been Abraham Lincoln's cobbler, his sin besides his race, itself was that he was prosperous and also that he was married to a white woman for over 30 years. The mob cut his throat and hung him. They were very busy hunting the prominent, Ferguson wrote later. And so, of course, we were all frightened, you see, because we were also affluent. In Tulsa, too, whites particularly targeted successful middle-class families. And so... Again, what you see, um, not just in in Tulsa, but also in Springfield, Illinois, uh, this jealousy and this envy towards African-Americans who were successful after the end of slavery. And there's this assumption that black people have always been in a state of despair. And that's just not the history. The history uh, tells a completely different story. African-Americans did incredibly well after slavery had ended. Um, They were very successful in business and politics and building their own schools, even though uh, they were living under intense Jim Crow laws and segregation laws that prohibited them from moving into uh, uh, prominent uh, white neighborhoods, owning businesses and um, prominent white neighborhoods. They created their own communities. Um, but 
you know, that's the the beautiful side of the story. The sad side of the story is everywhere they did this, African-Americans were attacked for it. And this mob not only, you know, murdered, again, an estimated possibly over 300 people, um, they destroyed their businesses. They drove them out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so many of the people who uh, lived in Greenwood, many of the affluent African-Americans, they just simply left. And this is a story that um, happened throughout America. And if you, again, pick up the book, uh, Sundown Towns, James Lowen talks a lot about it. And then, of course, The Color of, of Law. Um, that's also another excellent read if you're interested in learning more about this. And it really helped me, I guess, understand why we have... Um, these highly segregated communities even here today in 2020 I and mean, we're still living with the historical consequences and obviously the that african americans can move freely um uh today more so than 100 years ago so things have gotten better in that regard but still there's there's still this restriction of movement that we see 100 years later and i think that's some of the the um uh, complaints that African Americans have is that, you know, wherever you go, you're watched. You know, you're, you, you're, it's, your life could be in danger just going to the store to buy some candy. You know, you could be murdered while coming home from dinner with your girlfriend. You could be murdered in your home in your sleep. And so the uh, anxieties and fears that African-Americans have today is very real and it's it's rooted in history. It's rooted in this horrible legacy of violence. And, you know, we think of, you know, violence towards African-Americans in, you know, the transatlantic slave trade. We think of it in times of slavery, but we don't understand is just how the violence continued and continued and continued and continued. Again, 99 years ago, African-Americans being driven out of their neighborhood. African-Americans being killed for being successful, for being affluent, purposely targeted. And what we've learned later, much of this history, by the way, in Tulsa, Oklahoma was buried. And it wasn't until I think in the 1990s, they uh, commissioned a study to a historical study on the race riots and of course they uncovered that more people had been murdered. They um, interviewed some of the survivors that actually were still alive at the time who had lived through these race riots. And so it's just really an incredible history um, that was buried for nearly uh, 70 years. Um, and um, of course, uh, most people, even though the history has been uncovered, really don't know much about uh, the Tulsa race riots or the other race riots that took place. And I had mentioned it in the previous podcast is most of the race riots that took place from 1865, you know, the end of slavery to about um, the 1950s were riots by white folks who discriminately were murdering and killing um, uh, African-Americans. And again, the, the barbaric nature of these killings are incredible it's not simply, um, you know, a public lynching where, you know, they shoot and kill someone. I mean, they set these bodies on fire 
in some cases. They hang them. Um, after these bodies burn, you have people who come along and they cut off fingers for as trophies. Um, you know, they, and I don't want to get too graphic, but, you know, they cut off the testicles and they keep those as souvenirs. They take pictures. They um, actually uh, celebrated some of these public executions, these lynchings, and they would bring out their children and they would have them watch and they would point to the body that had been burned and then have somebody take a picture. It's, oh, it's just quite an incredible um uh, the nature of this violence and um, uh, just the savagery. Um, and again, this is just one um, community that is attacked. Um, if you, again, pick up the book, Sundown Towns, I encourage you all to, who care about these issues, if you are listening, um, I encourage you to do your own research um, wherever we live, um, you know, we can also go and, and do our research and we could find out if the town that we live in is a sundown town. And, you know, I live out here in Clovis and I know Clovis was at one time a sundown town. It's a very, very dangerous place for people of color. And I talked to, um, um, you know, a lot of my students who just won't, will not come out here. I have a, a colleague of mine. Um, won't mention her by name, but she's African-American. She will not come to Clovis. She's been harassed and um, she's had family members who've been harassed and she literally will not come into this town. Um, you know, it's it's kind of crazy. Again, this is over, um, you know, a hundred and something years since slavery has ended and we see racial tensions and the mistreatment of black people still ongoing and this is the source of the anger and the frustration um and um I, I think it's completely understandable it's not to excuse you know anybody's bad behavior by all means we have to you know be responsible we have to do more than get out there and protest and holler and scream and rant by all means but i understand the frustration um you know i um have my own experiences with with racism each and every day especially in the workplace and um, you know I've developed a, a lot of thick skin and I've uh, trained myself psychologically and emotionally to you know push through any type of um, microaggression I experience and um, you know but at the same time I, I also recognize that um, you know there are some in American society who get very, very little respect. Um, the way that they're treated is, you know, absolutely deplorable. And, you know, I have the advantage that, you know, I'm um, somebody who is respected um, in the workplace by many, not probably not by all, but by, by many of my colleagues. You know, I have a, a college education. I have a college, um, I have college degrees. Um, you know, I have a PhD and, uh, if I ever find myself in a situation where I feel that, you know, I'm being mistreated, um, you know, I, I, I always have that in my back pocket, right? That, hey, look, you know, I'm a college professor, um, you know, treat me the right way. Um, but I recognize that, you know, there's some people who, you know, they simply don't get any respect whatsoever 
in our society simply because of the color of their skin um, and their background. So again, we got to know our history. We got to uh, remember what took place in the past because what took place in the past has created this environment that we're living in today. And if you don't understand the past, you'll never understand why we are confronted with the current problems that are literally just destroying so many of our communities. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about that. Uh, I'm going to be doing some short podcasts throughout the week. And um, I, I know there's probably some who don't want to hear anything that I have to say in regards to these issues. But um, if you are listening, I encourage you to share uh, the podcast. Um, I have gotten uh, gotten some negative feedback. And to be honest with you, I'm just, you know, if you have some constructive feedback, if you don't disagree with me and you want to dialogue about some of this stuff, I'm all open for that. Um, but there's just some ugly negative people out there, unfortunately, um, who have uh, sent me some nasty messages and, and that's fine. Um, but I encourage those of you who um, care about these issues to you know share the podcast if you want to. And if you do want to um, want me to podcast about a particular topic related to these events, I'll do my best to try to try to do that. Um, and again, any kind of feedback would be helpful. I, I know that the podcast that I published um, yesterday wasn't the best quality. Um, you know, I'm still kind of, you know, grappling with my thoughts and, and my feelings in regards to what's taking place. And um, you know, I'm also, you know, busy. I'm trying to get my business going again. And I'm trying uh, to uh, run my classes. I'm actually still teaching. I'm teaching summer school. So, you know, I have uh, those responsibilities, but I'm going to do my best to organize my thoughts as well as I can and give you guys um, the best podcast I could bring to you. I'm working with uh, limited technology here. I, I don't have uh, any type of fancy podcast uh, technology. Hopefully in the future I can upgrade. Um, but for the time being, I'm using a fairly inexpensive mic. I'm hoping the sound quality is okay. And uh, I'm also using um, Anchor. And Anchor uh, has some pretty good um, uh, tools that enable me to at least um, be a little creative with the podcast. So you guys have a great day. And again, learn your history. Uh, don't be afraid to dialogue with people in regards to these issues. And um, if you confront folks who are angry and upset, uh, try to be compassionate and understanding. I know it could be really, really hard, especially if people uh, prejudge you based on uh, how you look, where you live. Uh, but just remember, and I, I always tell this to people, if somebody does that to you, just remember that you know people have had that done to them for generations and generations. And so you kind of know how it feels. And... Um, if you don't like it and it doesn't feel good, just imagine, again, being a person of color in this country and experiencing that type of behavior uh, each and every day when you walk out of the door, when you go and apply for a job, when you're driving in your car, when you're interacting with people who don't know you. Uh, this is the experience for many black people throughout our country. Um, again, we've just done a, a great job of excusing this barbaric, savage behavior. And it's one of the reasons why 
Um, we haven't fully um, uh, addressed these these topics. Um, uh, we're just not there just yet. We're not able to cross over that threshold where you know we're ready to really deal with the past. And I think now is the time. Um, you can't hide this history any longer. You know, you can uh, bombard us with uh, a bunch of nonsense that you see on YouTube and a bunch of nonsense that you read on Facebook or social media. You can distract us with this 24-hour news cycle, but the history is there. If you want to learn it, um, it's easy to accept, to, um, to access. You know, it wasn't like it, it's not like it, it was when I was a kid. It was very, very difficult to uncover this history. You know, you'd have to go to the library and you have to search, you have to check out books. And nowadays you don't have to do any of that. You can stay home. You can just read. Um, uh, you can grab your phone and you can start, you know, researching some of these um, narratives, these stories today. And so, again, I encourage you all to do that. Uh, stay strong. Um, you know, don't be afraid of the past. Uh, the past represents much of who we are today. If we want to understand ourselves, we ought to understand, um, you know, why things are the way they are. We have to investigate and interrogate the past. So you all have a wonderful day. And I'll be back uh, on uh, the mic probably tomorrow and i'm just going to be pushing these um, short episodes out every day y'all take care have a great day